Welcome everybody to Between the Lines, the podcast from Jewish Quest. My name is Simon Eder and each week I'm joined by a special guest who helps us deconstruct that week's parasha, exploring new insights and meaning in the Torah. And it is wonderful this week to be joined by Rabbi Shoshana Cohen, who is senior faculty of campus engagement at the Shalom Hartman Institute in Jerusalem. She oversees the Hevruta Gap Year program in Jerusalem, where she's also a research fellow and has taught for many years in Israel at different institutions, including for a number of years, the conservative yeshiva there. Rabbi Cohen, a huge welcome to you. And we look forward today to exploring Devarim. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about it. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. So, <laughs> Very good. So we have in Devarim, even traditional commentators treating the book of Deuteronomy, referring to it as a Mishnah Torah. So why then is it necessary? What's the point of, of Devarim if so many instances we have encountered their really repetitions? I think there's answers in the question, right? If the Torah is going to be something that is going to be long lasting, which is what is the concern of this book? The concern of this book is how are these things, these experiences, these laws that we already are holding on to, either from the desert or from an earlier historical period, how are they going to actually be relevant for generations that are going to come. And so repetition in various different ways, telling the story a little bit differently, telling parts of it in the form of a song, making all kinds of slight changes actually are an attempt to make it more relevant and long lasting. So I would say it's really about relevance. The repetition is not repetition for repetition's sake. The repetition is a kind of calculated repetition that's meant to make it more relevant and meaningful for future generations. So scholarship really points to much reworking within the court of Josiah in the 7th century for the Deuteronomistic works and particularly the book of Deuteronomy. And we find ourselves in a position that has perhaps been there for many centuries. How do we stay true to tradition and yet be able to achieve innovation, what the Deuteronomistic writers encountered as, as Jews have encountered throughout the centuries. How does Deuteronomy, how does Deuteronomy itself tackle this? So I think that there are so many examples as to how this happens. And I also just want to preface this by saying that so much of Jewish tradition exists, Judaism exists because of our ability to hold that balance of tradition and innovation. And the way that we do that is interpretation, holding on to a particular textual canon and interpreting it in new ways. And I think that Deuteronomy is so important because it's really one of the first 
kind of, the, it's the first point on that journey that will lead us to somewhere like Chazal eventually. So I think that's a lot of what's going on in the book. How does it do it? I think one, one, and one example is universalization, right? Laws which are given without a lot of meaning, you're supposed to, to honor your father and mother, maybe might be articulated earlier. And in Deuteronomy, it's articulated as something that's going to make your life long. So there's a, a reason that's given for things that weren't really necessarily reasons weren't given before. Another phrase that we have a lot all over Deuteronomy is you should learn and you should do and you should learn and you should keep this in order to do it. This whole notion of attaching a kind of wisdom, a logic to mitzvot that we have earlier is something that comes up over and over again in Deuteronomy. And I think, again, that's this idea that it's not just because someone gave me this law somewhere long ago, it's that there's actually an internal logic and an internal universal truth about this. There are many other examples, but we can go on and come back if you want. Could you maybe address the way in which the appointment of judges differs from elsewhere in, 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 I think, numbers, how that differs. So we have two other incidents. The book of Deuteronomy opens with Moshe speaking about the uh, appointment of judges. We have two other places, as you said, that this happens. One is in Parshat Yitro and one is in Parshat Pinchas. I think we can take a look at each of these. In Yitro, for instance, these people are identified. First of all, the story, right, Yitro suggests this. And God thinks that this is a good idea, and Moshe goes through with it. And the people are described as people who are strong, God-fearers, haters of spoil, the goodness of them, and the fact that they are God-fearers is a primary feature of the judges in the story of Yitro. And it seems like the point in Yitro, and if you look through the story, is that basically the role of the judge is to hear what God's will is. And we see this also in Parshat Pinchas, that there are things that Moshe says, I don't really understand this, but I'm going to go to God and God is going to clarify it. So in each of those incidences, the role of God is to be the role of the judge is to be someone who's going to be an intermediary between the divine truth and whatever is coming up for humans. In contrast, in Deuteronomy, first of all, Moshe, it's Moshe's idea. And Moshe also says, and you, the people, thought this was a good idea. So we can see that Moshe is kind of, when he tells the story, he's telling the story that this is something that the people needed and God is not part of that picture. And also the people are described as being wise and discerning. And we can see this as this wisdom, this notion of our leaders being wise. The, the word chacham, navon, bina, all of those words which are about wisdom come up many times in Deuteronomy. The idea being that the judges are supposed, there's something about the, the, their job is not just to be a channel, but is actually to kind of judge themselves and figure out what the right answer is. So that's what we see in that story. And it's very, it comes out very clearly that, that the, this is a human person who's now going to be able to figure out what the right, the correct, the logical thing to do is, which is very different than someone exposing themselves to some kind of divine revelation. And just really following on that strand, obviously there are lots of retellings and the appointments of judges as we've explored one of them. It seems that what overlaps with many of these retellings is really the position of God being different, more, more absent, certainly, certainly a lot more remote. 
why do you think that is and what's the importance of that? Yeah. So let's draw that out a little bit. What does that look like exactly? If we see there's a there's an incident in the book of Exodus where the people after certain members of the people that came in actually go up in it seems to the heavens, something like that, and they're able to actually see God. That notion that you can see God is ele- is present in other in other strands of biblical literature. God's self is someone who can come down and is it we can see him. We can see them. At the same time, in Deuteronomy, what we see is that the way that we most often talk about God is God's name. God's name comes down. The Mishkan, the place where God is going to choose, it's the place where God chooses the Shaken Shemosha. So God is. God doesn't come down in the Deuteronomic worldview in terms of theology. God's self, God is somewhere above looking down. But the way that God's presence is in the world is that God's name is, that is, our actions, our interactions with God somehow bring elements of God into the world. But God's self is not there. And I think that plays, that's similar that to me, those that matches up a little bit with what we were saying about the wisdom. That is, there is an element of divine wisdom in the world, but it comes into the world very much through people. People's available ability to discern right from wrong, etc. Understood. And I think that what we also perhaps see, and you've already referred to this, is this emphasis within Devarim around wisdom and understanding and these traits as being accessible to people. Can you maybe expand on this and, and draw out? the importance of wisdom. The Deuteronomist believes that there's going to be someone later who's going to encounter these texts. And the fact that someone said that they were revealed at Sinai is not going to be enough to get them to do it. And that's why I think that what they keep going at is this law that you see, it's right and it's just and it's good. And it applies to you. You're concerned about widows and orphans. You know what? Here, your law, our law also is concerned about widows and orphans. So there's a sense that your intuitive kind of human notion of wisdom and morality is you can map that onto what God wants from you. I think that's something that we see when we use that kind of wisdom language. That's the assumption that humans are able through their rational facilities and moral intuitions to reach reach what God wants in the world. And I think really what you've spoken to really across the board is the kind of Deuteronomists as really adhering much more to our secular worldview in a way which is so different to what we encounter certainly in places in in Shemot, the miraculous and so on. Do you agree with that and what can we really learn from that for today? Yeah, I do. And I think that there's another, yeah, I definitely think that's true. And I think that another piece here that's important to put in when we think about this secularization or more humanist way of thinking about things is that there are other elements. If we're thinking about sources that are the P source, which is written by priests and often for priests, that is a notion in which the divine is accessed by a small number of people who are going to do specific rituals that are going to interact with God. And that's how the interaction with God happens. Yes, there are mitzvot that everybody has to do, but the main way of contacting God is happening. A small group can do it. 
I believe that Deuteronomy has a different, very different view of that. It's trying to create a kind of religion and interaction with God, with the divine that includes a much larger group of people. And that is then about social mitzvot, right? It's about, about mitzvot that are going to make you a better person. It's about building on the sense in which what is good and right. And that's available to everyone. I think one of the best examples of that is if you contrast that, if you contrast, say, the Shabbat law in Parshat Yitro and the Shabbat law in, in Parshat Vetchanan. Right. In Parsha Yitro, it, you, where you're supposed to rest on Shabbat and we recall and the verse that we recall is that God created the world. Right. Because God created the world and stopped. So, too, we have to create the world and stuff. In, in, if we look at the version in Parshat Hanan, there are two di- major differences. First of all, the reason why we keep Shabbat is because of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. We were slaves in Egypt. And we, therefore, it said, we have Shabbat, and you should let everyone rest on Shabbat so that you and your slaves, you and your slaves and your maidservants should all rest like you, right? So there's this sense that this is not just about our own sort of our history. It's not only about our connection to God. It's about a much more universal value of freedom and justice and caring for the foreigner. That phrase, Gerim Hayitim, you were slaves in the land of Egypt, comes up in different places, but it comes up over and over again in Deuteronomy. So it definitely has this notion of universalism, of universal values and of justice and all of those things. So I think that fits in some ways to to what you were asking. Maybe finally, it, it seems that the Deuteronomists were reformers of of a kind and yet they also wanted to adhere to tradition as well translate it very much in the vein perhaps of the late rabbi hartman or rabbi jacobs others and so on i really wonder your thinking on perhaps how we can take that message and apply it for today and what are the important things that the jewish world should keep in mind with uh, with the deuteronomists as our inspiration yeah okay so i think there are a few i think first of all and this i definitely learned from my teacher david hartman and sometimes i think it might even be very obvious to us as progressive jews for those of us who are but this notion that your your internal moral intuition is important for your Avodat Hashem. And Hartman fought against the idea, say, of the Akedah, the sacrifice, the moral sacrifice of the Akedah. When Hartman would read the Akedah, he would get very angry, at least with the classical read of the Akedah, and say this submission, this notion that Abraham would sacrifice, and not only sacrifice his son, but sacrifice his own sense of what is right and what is good, cannot be what the good, right, just God wants from us. That can't be. Hartman would get very upset about it. And so he would always turn to Abraham at Sdome, Abraham who argued with God, the Abraham who had a strong sense on his own of what is right and what is just and was willing to have a dialogue with God. So I think that is something that we see in, like I've said over and over again in this book, this notion that people are endowed by God originally in terms of who we are as humans. We're endowed with this sense of morality and right and good and caring and justice. And we need to, instead of our theology being about quieting those and submitting to some other will of God, 
we would say that is the will of God. The will of God is that we tune into those and we make moral choices. I think one of the most powerful elements of the book in what we see is God says, I put before you, right? We're presented with blessings and curses and good and bad and right and life and death. The sense being that you as people are confronted with real moral choices all the time and also with the ability to be able to make the right ones. And I think part of what Deuteronomy is trying to do is to be realistic about the fact that we're making those choices all the time and also allow us to the tools to be able to face them correctly. So I think that's definitely something that I've learned from Hartman. And I think something that we can definitely learn from this book. I think the other part is, and this you were talking about secularization. Look, many of us don't experience our religiosity in terms of revelation, right? Most of us are not having, many of us are not having ecstatic religious experiences like we had at Sinai. We're not necessarily seeing God with our own eyes. Maybe some of us are, and sometimes I wish I were. But instead of being afraid of that, wait, but I can't really see it. I'm not really sure. I think Deuteronomy provides this model that like, it's okay if it feels a little far away. God can be somewhere else. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that God isn't important, but we can lean into the fact that God can be away and that it's up to up, but God gives these kind of tools and these echoes in the world that we as people are supposed to bring in, bring out in order to create goodness and justice. So I think that's another pathway, just dealing with the fact that it's hard to see God sometimes, but that we can rely on what we feel is good and right to be able to somehow access the divine and bring it into the world. Rabbi Shoshana, thank you so much for exploring with us with such passion and also presenting the wonderful way in which we can see Devarim for us today and, and certainly apply it. And also planting plenty of seeds for themes that we will come back to as we go through the book of Phonomy over the next few weeks. Yeah. If you like this podcast, please do remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, do find out all about the exciting content that we have for you on our mothership, jewishquest.org. We do look forward to seeing you again next week. Yeah.